And as Moses is receiving this word of the Lord, telling him to tell the leaders to kill all of those that were part of joining in and worshiping the idols of Moab, they're sitting in front of the tabernacle and they're actually lamenting that evil that entered the camp. And verse 6 continues by saying, And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in sight of the entire, all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The term used here for weeping can also be mourning. So they weren't just crying because they were sad. They were mourning. They were lamenting this evil that has come into their midst. So it took a lot of chutzpah, to say the least, for this man, right in front of everyone, who's already being told that anyone that's joined themselves to the gods of Baal and the gods of Moab, they're directly challenging the authority of Moses and the other leaders by right in front of everybody doing this. But worst of all, they're doing it right in front of God. Because remember back in verses 4 and 5, God's speaking to Moses, so God is a part of what's going on, and all of a sudden this guy shows up and brings in a Midianite woman. So without any hesitation, as we read in verses 7 through 9, now when Pinchas, the son of Elisar, the son of Aharon, the priest, saw it, you notice he's the only one, everyone saw it, but he's the only one that reacted. He rose from among the congregation, took a javelin, also translated as a spear, and he went in after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Now some commentators say they actually went as far as to already be in the tent, engaging in, in sexual relations with each other, so that the spear went through their bodies and into the ground, staking them to the ground. Now, but at first glance, we see Pinchas jump up, and it seems he's taking the law into his own hands. Moses didn't tell him to do anything. None of the other leaders told him to do anything. Everyone was awestruck that this was happening in their very midst. But Pinchas jumped up and did this. And some would even say what he did was he committed murder. If you look at the surface of it. But how did God see what Pinchas did? And this is where we come to this parasha, Pinchas. Looking back, at, looking at Numbers 25, verse 10, where we, began, we begin the parasha of Pinchas, it tells us that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Pinchas, the son of Elisar, the son of Aharon the priest, is in big trouble now because he committed murder. No. He says, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. 
So it looked like a very strange thing for anybody to do. Pinchas actually set the children of Israel free from this evil that had come upon them. And they lay out into their camp. And he was highly regarded by God. God himself, at the beginning of this parasha, declares the intentions of Pinchas were pure and just. And he grants him this covenant of peace and to him and his descendants after him, and that he would receive a covenant of an everlasting priesthood. I think he did the right thing. Even though it seemed kind of impetuous for this young man to do such a thing, he did the right thing. So then in back to Numbers 25, actually, let's look what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 106, verses 30 and 31. It says, Pinchas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. And that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. So even the psalmist refers back and says, he did the right thing. He actually did something that nobody else was going to do. Nobody else moved. But again, Numbers 25, beginning at verse 14, we see the names of the two that were killed by Pinchas. It's interesting, when I talked about his birth, his mother is not named, but the two people he killed were named. I'm not God. I can't tell you why that is. Why didn't he have Moses write down the mother's name? I don't know. But it says, now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of the father's house among the Simeonites. So he wasn't just one of the gang. He was one of the leaders of that tribe. The name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zur. He was the head of the people of a father's house of Midian. Now, that tells if he was the head of a house in Midian, that means Cosby was a princess, a Midianite princess. And her name means deceitful. That should tell us everything about her right there. But now, after all these accolades and all the promises that we've read, we don't hear about Pincus again until next week's parasha when we read in Numbers 31, 1 through 8, which is a snapshot into next week, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves for war, and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord in Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to the war. So there were recruited from the divisions of Israel, one thousand from each tribe, twelve thousand armed for war, Then Moses sent them to the war, 1,000 from each tribe, and he sent them to war with Pinchas, the son of Elisar the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Rebah, the five kings of Midian. Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. We remember Balaam from the last week's parasha. 
He was told not to curse the Israelites, but every time Balak kept encouraging him to do this for me and I'm going to pay you handsomely, he still went back and said, well, well, God, what should I do? Well, he told you what to do, but you're going, coming back and defying him by asking again. If you recall, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh asked for and actually received the land on the other side of the Jordan. So they didn't actually have to cross over into Eretz Israel, the promised land. They didn't have to do that. But they did have an obligation that they had to join forces with their brothers, the rest of the tribes, in securing that land, and that they must, as we read in Joshua 22.5, take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, we also read that they had every intention of going in and living up to their obligation to go in with their brothers and secure the land. Then they go back to their homes that they built, and as King James Version says, the New King James, in verse 10, a great, impressive altar was built. That's when things started going wild and the rumors were flying everywhere because in verses 11 and 12 it says that the children of Israel heard someone say. How many have heard that before? I heard that someone said. Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of God, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go war against them. They just helped you get, gain control of your land. And because you heard that something happened back on the other side, you're going to go war against them. Did anybody stop to think for a moment that maybe they should ask them what's going on? No, let's just go war against them. Let's go wipe them out for doing what they're doing. We don't know what they're doing exactly. So here comes Pincus again. Verses 13 through 20, it says, Then the children of Israel sent Pincus, the son of Elisar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, the children of God, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. With him, ten rulers, one ruler from each of the chief houses of every tribe of Israel. And each one was the head of his father's house according to the divisions of Israel. And then they came back, they came to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and to the land of Gilead. And they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away his day, this day from following the Lord? in that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. Sidebar. Don't you think by this point those tribes would have spoken up to defend themselves? But no. They didn't say anything. It goes on. And it shall be, if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. 
Nevertheless, if, if, in the, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of our Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. But don't rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Ahan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the, in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Again, these three tribes are silent. They're listening to the accusations. They're listening to what they heard about what we're doing. They just waited. And once the allegations and the accusations were presented to them, in verses 21 through 29, they explained their intentions And once again, they expressed their intentions were to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Yeah, they did build an altar to the one true and living God because they were separated from the other tribes. They could not get to that altar, so they built one near them so they didn't have to travel all the way across the Jordan. Is that much different than when you're, say, traveling somewhere and you go into a messianic synagogue wherever you are to worship? Are you committing adult idolatry? But this is what they were doing. They were trying to have a place where they could worship God in their territory. Okay. (laughs) But this is a lesson in not jumping to conclusions. Because isn't it better to ask than to accuse? But in the end, Pincus and his delegation determined the truth and all was well again between the children of Israel. I mean, I've been there. How many, I don't know how many of you have ever had, heard something you said or you, something you did and it caused difficulty, it caused hurt feelings, strained relationships, broken relationships. And other grief or heartache. It's happened to me. Because someone said, they heard that I said something. And I don't find out till sometimes years later that I supposedly said these things. And it was not true. Because someone took half of what they heard and that's all they told. You know the whole telephone game. I tell the story to Batya. Batya calls Ron and the story changes. Ron calls Mike, and the story changes. By the time it comes back to me, it's nowhere near what I said in the beginning. But that's how it is with com- jumping to conclusions. You hear a part of something, and that's not enough to hear. You have to hear the whole story. Because nobody bothered to stop and say, well, Mike didn't say, call. wait, John, here's what I heard. See, stop it before it gets to the furthest point where everything is completely distorted and whatever I said is now reversed and now I'm a villain. But what's interesting, I I know someone has done it before. I don't have the dialogue that took place, but they reversed it to see what would happen if it went back around those same people back to the beginning. And they found that it got even more distorted than it did just going one time through. But at some point, someone has to say, well, going backwards, 
Someone has to say, wait a minute, that's not what I told you. And then turn it back to the author, or as we call it in social media, the OP, original poster. But they just jump to the conclusion because they just heard this part. And I'm almost done, by the way. Um, in closing, I'm going to read something. I've read this before, but I, I like the way it ends because of the person speaking and what he said. This happened actually 232 years ago tomorrow. July 28, 1787. It was the, fir- the Constitutional Convention. And they'd been meeting for five weeks. And they were deadlocked. The larger states were insisting that congressional representation be based on population, while the smaller states wanted one state, one vote. Wouldn't it be great if they stuck with that one? But it was an effort to, in their estimation, to create a stronger nation because at that point they were in jeopardy. James Madison recorded that Benjamin Franklin, who was 81 years old at the time, sat there quietly through most of the deliberation. He finally addressed the group by saying, Mr. President, the small progress we have made after four or five weeks, close attendance and continued reasoning with each other, our different sentiments on almost every question, several of the last producing as many no's as eyes, is methinks a melancholy proof of the imperfection of the human understanding. I love that. I, I love the way he spoke. I love the way they spoke in general at that time. But the melancholy proof of the imperfection of the human understanding, he said. We indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom since we have been running out about in search of it. We have come back to ancient history for models of government and examined the different forms of those republics which have been formed with the seeds of their own dissolution now no longer exist. And we have viewed modern states all around Europe but find none of their constitutions suitable to our circumstances. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. To that kind of providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we, he, that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, for a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, 
is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings. What was he referring to? In the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided in our little partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. He concludes by saying, I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. See, we should take this advice ourselves today that we should implore the assistance of heaven and its blessings. It's one thing to have our own intellect, our own knowledge. That's a good thing. But it's better to rely on God to direct us. That's why he sent the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us, bring things back to our remembrance. What things would that be? That would be all the words written in this book. He brings that to our remembrance. Do, did we ever know it to have to remember it in the first place? Well, if we follow after the reading cycle that we do here, and we read through the Bible in the annual cycle, we will have completed at least the Torah. Is that enough? It can be. But there's more to it. You have the writings, you have the Psalms, and you have the Brit Hadashah, the New, new Covenant Scriptures. But if all you did was follow the parasha every week, that would be enough knowledge for the Ruach to bring back to your understanding and your memory. And that's what we need to rely on is him. And also, he will direct us to those other things. And we should do that in every aspect of our lives and not jump to conclusions just because someone else had a different interpretation or had another idea of how they wanted to do things, we need to do things God's way. Dragnet fans around here? Drag, dragnet, anybody? Sergeant Joe Friday says, used to say, all we want are the facts, ma'am. And no, it, it wasn't just the facts, ma'am. That's not what he said. He said, all we want is the facts, ma'am. So let's make sure we, con- we quote him correctly. But... I think even Pincus may have learned that very lesson from his brothers on the other side of the Jordan. Because when he went to investigate, he got the facts. He found out what was missing and what they heard over on the other side. He was able to come back and report they're doing the right thing. We should always remember the words of mobster Joe Massino also. Why would we want to remember his words? Because he had said... 
There are three sides to every story. Mine, yours, and the truth. I mean, there you go. Mine, yours, and the truth. And guess what? Which one counts the most? The truth. I don't care what I say. I don't care what side I'm taking. You shouldn't care what side you're taking either. We need to come to the truth. Our goal should always be to seek truth. Especially when we're dealing with one another. So many things can be spoken and misunderstood about what you may say about someone else or what you may say about me or what I might say about you. If you heard that somebody says I said something, ask me. If you heard that Ron said something about you, ask Ron. Seek the truth always. And we'll always be safe in the truth. And that's what brothers and sisters in Messiah should do. And they actually, we actually must do that to build a healthy relationship within the community. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you and we bless you. We do want to know the facts. We do want to know the truth. I pray that none of us would ever... Go off on a tangent just because we heard something was said or we heard something was done. But we will seek after the truth of the matter. And only then, if it's true, then we have a case. I pray that you would always keep us mindful that we are all your children. We are brothers and sisters, one with another. We are seeking the same goal, and that's become more like you so that we can draw others to you and teach them how to be more like you. Open up your scriptures to us. Give us new understandings in the truth. Give us new revelation as we study your word that we can be rightly informed and rightly feeling knowledgeable in your truth. As Rav Shaul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman does not need to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. Let us always rightly divide the word of truth that we can become effective ambassadors, messengers of the gospel of Yeshua. Thank you, Lord, for this Shabbat. Thank you for these people. Thank you as we go forward into the week that you would continue to be with us, teaching us, leading us, guiding us, and enriching us with the love of Yeshua and the knowledge of a true and living God. In Yeshua's name.